You're listening to The Turing Podcast, a production of the Alan Turing Institute, the UK's National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Turing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Calstry. Uh, but today I'm going to be handing over to my co-hosts B Costa Gomez and Joe Dungate. Um, they had a chat earlier this year with a couple of the researchers at the Institute uh, talking about one of the COVID-19 projects that we have at the Institute. And, you know, this is 2020 still, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's been a bit of a strange year, hasn't it? But um yeah, the uh, for those people listening in the far future, this is the year that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic struck. And one of the challenges that uh, countries and local authorities have had to deal with is how to exit their lockdowns safely. So the lockdowns have been these policies which have been to, you know, shut everything down, close schools, shops, businesses, etc., um, we're releasing this now at the end of September, but uh, the conversation that's going to be the, the the bulk of this podcast today was had a few months ago towards the end of the uh, UK's national lockdown. And essentially the, the project in question is um, looking at capturing activity over London um, to better understand, quote, busyness and effectiveness aid effective policy making strategies for exiting uh, the lockdown and i'm sure that the uh, the methods used will be extremely useful in case of any further lockdowns which at the time of recording we may be about to go back into but we'll we'll see how it goes certainly a lot of local areas have had these lockdowns so research such as this is going to be definitely i think very important but without further ado, I'll hand over to B and Joe to talk about Project Odysseus. Hi, everyone. Today we're, re- we're chatting with James Walsh, a research assistant at the Alan Turing Institute, and Funmi Kesha, a PhD student at the University of Warwick, and they will tell us about one of Turing's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Project Odysseus, um, by capturing activity over London to better understand busyness, and I'm doing air quotes on here, and aid effective policy making strategies for exiting the pandemic lockdown. Hello, guys. Hi. Um, Welcome. How are you guys doing in this pandemic? Well, um, quite fine. <laughs> Apart from staying <laughs> in my room 24 hours, I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I left the country. I ran and I hid. I yes. accidentally did that before. Yeah, I accidentally did that before the lockdown happened. And hence, I am now stayed outside the country. But that's worked out well. Yes, because I Can was going to say... say? <laughs> oh, the US. US? I to, oh. Mm, I was here to see my brother and then lockdown happened. <laughs> So now you're locked in the US. Indeed. And where are you from me? Yeah, I'm currently in Coventry. Oh, that's okay. cool. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? I'm in London. I'm in 
deepest, darkest East London. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Manchester. Um, just still here, still still locked. Uh, but the, there's new things, new projects that came out with this pandemic, and one of them, you guys have been working on it. So let's start with the basics. What is Project Odysseus? Uh, what question is it trying to answer? And what are you guys personally doing? Sure. I'll start on that. Um, so Odysseus started off as, to be honest, the Clean Air Project, which is the London Air Quality um, uh, Turing project that's been occurring for the last couple of years. And it's it's been built predominantly um, by a sort of rather large team from the Work Machine Learning Group. Um, we've got a lot of uh, Oliver Hamlet's work, Patrick O'Hara's work, um, James Robinson, um, Oscar Giles, all of these people have sort of been working on this project for the last two years and really done a huge amount of the, the legwork for what really was just a sort of like cherry on top of their work. What we've done is take effectively that they've been doing and with them tried to come up with ways in which we can provide some level of insight would be the this sort of businessy sort of term for how data has evolved throughout this pandemic. So the original, if I do a little bit of background on, on that project, is to the original intent of London Air Quality is to ingest large quantities of relevant data such as um, traffic information, road sensors, uh, weather sensors, air quality sensors, satellite data, uh, and apply new methods, um, as, as of course it's a research task predominantly, to try and come up with better ways in which we can in real time respond to the City of London for what we predict the uh, pollution estimates to be. Uh, and there's additional works, as one might imagine, um, that can be completed after that. But when that becomes relevant to COVID is, of course, that means we have this entire infrastructure um, designed to ingest data about London. Um, and in this instance, of course, that might be pollution, but it was asked of us from uh, the City of London if we could consider ingesting things that would be relevant to COVID and then responding to them with, um, uh, well, our analysis and also the, the aggregate results of, of multiple different data streams. And that's effectively where this project has come from. Um, the name itself, do you want to ask me that question specifically? Yes, I do want to know. I was going to ask that. Um, where does the name come from? Okay, so the, the, uh, the, the, the name is about Greek, Greek mythology. No, I can't say that. Greek mythology. No, it's, it's from one of Homer's, Homer's works. Um, it's about Odysseus, the um, king of Ithaca, and his power over the Cyclops. Um, and if you have sort of heard any of that, any about anything about that before, um, he effectively outfoxes the Cyclops. And the Cyclops' eye um, is also known as Corona. So it's a sort of way around of saying that we're, we're hoping to do something against uh, Corona. Okay, cool. So um, when you say large amounts of data and like traffic data, you mean cameras or just volume of cars passing? What actual type of data are you talking about? Sure. So one of the um, one of the primary things that we were sort of doing as a, as a new area of the London Air Quality Project was ingesting camera footage from traffic feeds. So these are open source traffic feeds that are uh, very low resolution. Um, so what we wanted to do was effectively just work out how to um, 
count the number of starts and stops for vehicles um, as pollution generating events and that's actually where Fumi comes in um, so Fumi, uh, Sam and I'll let her uh, introduce the rest of her um, her group worked on this last summer um, and effectively we sort of noticed how impressive this work was and wanted to come along and introduce that as um, like a post-processing stream into this rather, otherwise rather otherwise rather large system uh, and that's that's evolved specifically for coronavirus because we wanted to include pedestrians which means that we would have some understanding of pedestrian or foot traffic uh, congestion or lack of such congestion uh, in particular areas of course to monitor activity in London and then the the final relevance the last thing I would say from that particular data stream is an estimation of social distancing so we were unable to determine um, individual faces and characteristics of people but we can detect humanoids um, specifically on cameras that are overlooking a lot of the uh, the London intersections um, or, or traffic lights for the, for the non-Americans um, and in those instances we can see if people are maintaining the social distancing requirements and that's obviously something that's relevant to policymakers. And how so far how easy or hard have you found it kind of transferring the focus of the project towards um, COVID it, it's sort of interesting so that, that sort of de- defines about how it sort of came out it sort of reached this I wouldn't say the entire project is refocused um, I mm. would say that a lot of people have sort of come on board because this infrastructure this platform this foundation was in place so it's uh, kind of expanded maybe yes, more yes rapidly rapidly yeah. yeah yeah yeah. and I would say the, the sort of hard part has been well you know onboarding a lot of people to teach them about how to use the infrastructure and that sort of thing um but th- that hasn't been too too much of a problem really it's just been the scale um mm. traditionally we're used to processing large quantities of, sort of count data um that's not that's not too hard computationally uh, depending on what you're doing with it of course um but the the real issue has been the, the footage the the amount of footage that we're processing in real time is is relatively high and and hence it's required a, a sort of relearning of some technologies to accommodate that. So uh, I can go into more details about that, but I should let Fumi speak. Cool. <laughs> yes, I was going to ask Fumi to explain a little bit uh, what she's been doing um, to, so far. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, I think um, James already mentioned part of um, what I'm doing and where I happen to come in. Um, last year, my group, um, part of this Friends for Social Good, we started a project called London Air Quality where we were processing um, cameras, um, jam cams from TFL. They, were, they are currently publicly available, so we're using the API to download videos and try to detect um, objects like cars and um, motorbikes and bicycles. And um, it actually is a three-month project, so... Um, our idea was to be able to count the type of vehicles um, in the camera and have like um, statistics that researchers can use um, to measure air pollution. And luckily for us, um, um, the team at um, Alan Turing found it useful and that's why we're currently working um, with the overall project, the, uh, this year's project to be able to also like count um, the number of people in, in the jump cams. So currently we're extending that work to include um, people. Like James uh, mentioned, we can't really identify the people in the camera, but with the features um, 
using computer vision algorithm, we can um, detect if um, there's a person in the video and count um, the number of people in that video and also the number of cars and other objects that are very useful to the London air quality. So currently I'm working with James um, on the um, computer vision side of the project. Okay. Um, what outcomes do you guys expect to, to, to come from Project Odysseus? So I would say that the interest level of this project was a lot higher than we originally realized. Um, the, the sort of outcomes, the immediate outcomes, has always been the same. It's been, are we able to provide some information to the local government of London for particular areas of activity. So they already have some metrics, right? They already have Oyster Card. They they may already have uh, some traffic and congestion um, of vehicles and all that. So it, it's effectively trying to supplement those very, very quickly so that we have this idea of, of either those items brought in and aggregate and then um, effectively cleaned so they're able to make an analysis based on data that, that has gone through at least some level of post-processing or um, using these, these, these jam cams for these pedestrian um, foot traffic values. So what we hope is that they would see this and there have been instances already where uh, there have been areas that have been of particular discontinuity with what we've generated as historical profiles for that particular area and it's it's spotting these outliers and acting as this um, early warning system so because this is running in real time because we have historical data um, we're able to build up a sort of profile of generally what this particular area of London looks like and then compare as you might imagine in real time or usually, to be honest, with about two uh, two hours uh, lag, how different that is, and if it's obviously large enough, then that that allows us to sort of say, okay, hang on, there's something interesting happening over here. We don't know always what that is. I mean, it's not always obvious. You just um, disabled, you know, disabled you. You shut all um, um, cinemas, for example, and then all of a sudden um, you're, you're used to seeing what a movie release would be, and and you see that coming up as as as, as an example of of. Um, some sort of intervention, something that the city has done, then it, it's this ability to hopefully watch back how that, how, that has changed historically. Um, not sure that's a great example, but that, that's that's one. Um, a better a better example a better example um, is say that there's a there's a borough that has a particular um, higher activity rate than one would imagine in comparison to other boroughs. Um, well, that that was one of the instances that had occurred, and they wanted to understand why. And it it wasn't necessarily easy for us to be able to say why that wasn't our role. But by pointing out the fact that there was some event occurring over here, and this is why we think something has happened, they were able to determine that there's a um, uh, a difference in uh, general jobs for that particular area. So there were more people working in construction, for example, in this particular area, and that implied, of course, that um, the construction workers themselves weren't either able um, to, to stay within the lockdown or they were, they were reaching some form of pressure um, and hence there needed to be some sort of intervention with the construction companies. Um, the, I guess have you, the, the question now is, for example, in the past few weeks, we've been seeing an easing of the lockdown. Um, have you noticed difference in the data and how um, can this... Um, this project help with the exiting of the lockdown and 
following the steps that the government says we need to follow in order to ease even more the lockdown rules. Yeah, so the the lockdown has been easing and hence we've very clearly seen that more people have been going out. I mean, the, the, the difference um, sort of in March when the lockdown really started um, and how it was historically was monumental it was huge um and that 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 we sort of very much hoped to see and was the case and now we are seeing some areas definitely light up for some some times of day um how it works over time is effectively trying to assist strategies for planning so it might be which bus routes come online at which times or which schools can take which particular um groups of people it's not always going to be perfect your data is never going to be absolutely enough necessarily to make these decisions on, on its own, but it, it can provide as an assistance to questions like those for how to bring city that City of London back up effectively um, and just making sure there isn't instances that may have accidentally say some combination of bus routes increased a huge amount of pressure on one particular location of the city. Well, that that's going to be against social distancing and hence for the next few months that could include a lot of congestion and be a bit high risk area that's not something they want to do obviously <laughs> um i do have a, um, a, a question because now it's a, a very hot topic which is data protection um and fear of over surveillance and you guys already pointed out that you can't identify people on the images but I imagine you're you're you can track someone for, by their clothes or something like that across several cameras <laughs> if needed. Um, and my question is, how can you reassure our Londoner listeners and Joe? Because I bet Joe is now like, I walked and the camera caught me. Um, how yeah, can I've been all over the place? <laughs> um, how can you reassure our Londoner listeners that they um, have their privacy um, protected? So the, the clips themselves are 10 seconds in length. Um, they're, they're incredibly short clips that we receive every two to four minutes. Um, these clips don't permit you to track an individual, um, even if we were to be able to determine some sort of humanoid by their physical features or height or something like that, um, or their, their clothing, I think, as you suggested. It, it wouldn't really be um, very easy if... I don't want to say impossible, but it would be it would be incredibly difficult for us to be capable of tracking a particular individual. They'd have to walk exactly in where there are traffic cameras, and then they would have to stay anyway. They would have to stay within within all of their um, all of these. I need to retake this question. <laughs> Fumi, do you want to take it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I understand what James is trying to say because um, currently the cameras that we have access to. Uh, updated by TFL every four minutes, and they're just 10 seconds clips. So if you imagine someone walking um, in front of the camera, like within 10 seconds, after four minutes, we don't know where they are. So even if um, maybe some experts try to identify the person via their physical features, or like James mentioned, we can't really track because um, we don't have the the video or yet yeah, to like record like four minutes worth of action or where they are. So it would be really difficult for someone to use that kind of data to like track anyone. Okay. Um, is that, 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 that's good to know. That's good to know that people are not being um, tracked. Uh, although I do imagine you guys 
probably have some sort of uh, judgment when you see people not socially distancing. And you can admit to us, no one is listening except ever all of our listeners, that you guys look at them and slightly judge them a little bit when they do not respect the rules. Isn't that the most fun thing to come out of the <laughs> pandemic is judging other people for eating? <laughs> exactly. We can, we can just, you can, you can be so mean now and you can... Uh, you can finally yell at teenagers for just meeting their friends. This is... <laughs> we've reached... Yeah. It's for glo- the good of global health. It's fine. <laughs> um, not, in my, uh, not in my front one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as you mentioned, this was the City of London that contacted uh, the Turing. Um, this is a highly collaborative project. So you are coordinating between universities, not just one, but several... Um, and also the institutions like the Transport for London and, and um, Greater London Authority. Um, how has it been coordinating all of these uh, science and non-science institutions? Silence. Yes. Very good to make sure that I... <laughs> They're not giving a political answer. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is it's okay if you say very mean things. Dan can can always um, <laughs> uh, bleep this part if needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I just I just was trying to say like um, it, it it kind of the project started off um, already with GLA, so we already had a partnership with um, Great London Authority, um, and we already uh, was working with TfL on a number of things. So it hasn't it hasn't really been we haven't had a sort of rocky road of figuring out where everybody sits or or how everything's supposed to be combined. It's been much more of a situation where we kind of all knew each other already, um, and we all knew each other for one particular aspect. Um, of the piece of work that we were originally trying to do uh, for air quality and instead we we were just sort of coming along and went oh okay this is now something that we can do now that means we need to get this working within a week two weeks and we need to make sure this is um, useful for something like the COVID pandemic and and that's kind of how everything sort of came together like it was it wasn't I, I yeah my, my my point my hesitation wasn't that it's it's been like a new project where we've all sort of come along and tried to work out exactly what it was that that we were trying to do here we all kind of already had a, a good understanding with each other about what what we were going to do um and it was just building in that capability um to also take a look at, at how in which um you know the activity of london is, is changing yeah, I was just going to say, like, this is slightly, I don't know, maybe kind of diverting my thoughts to, you know, possible outcomes of this project. But, you know, say your data, you know, looks at different boroughs and that it's noticeable that certain boroughs, there's a lot more activity and, you know, social distancing hasn't happened, you know, whatever. Is it plausible that lockdowns could happen within specific boroughs? Is that like a possibility or... I don't know, like I'm kind of thinking beyond the question of like London. London's a very complicated city and has very different feels in different areas. It's like a mega city, isn't it? So I don't know, it's just kind of me speculating. 
That would also be me speculating then as well. <laughs> I'm afraid to say in that answer. I, w I wouldn't know. I would be surprised if they were to lock down individual boroughs. I mean, the city of mm. London as a whole is still managed by, yes, individually um, local governments for those boroughs, but also the, the Greater London Authority as a whole. Um, and I think to, to go so far as to lock down, I have no idea what the jurisdiction is of those mm. uh, individual boroughs, but I would be... I'd be curious to know whether or not the boroughs themselves have that jurisdiction or if it does lie with the mayor. Um, and I, I don't know, but it, it, it's not necessarily that you need to lock down an entire borough because that, mm. I mean, that's, that's, a large, yeah. that's a large lock of land. Um, and, and it's not necessarily that you would want to get down specifically to that individual street, you know, those particular groups of people. Instead, yeah. it's much more like, hang on, there's, there, there's, there's something occurring in this 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 block of housing that 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 seems a bit peculiar um when it comes to how other people are, are are managing through and and it's it's understanding okay well what can we do to make it easier for those people um in the in that particular block of housing for example okay that's interesting i know that you know in terms of like closing parks and kind of those public spaces early on in the lockdown that i think kind of came down to an individual borough decision yeah. um but yeah, I, I beyond that, I don't really know. But yeah, I just thought I'd ask the question. No, I, I'm just, I'm just imagining if this, if this data goes public, and then you just have like, um, sort of little wars between boroughs about, oh my god, yeah. look, they did not distance themselves, and we did, and so it's their fault. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Lambeth, <laughs> this, all of this like territorial attacks. Um, just, I have one question though. Um, because you guys say that you have access to this to these images every um, four minutes, and it's a ten second clip, right? But the algorithms that you're developing can be used on more continuous images. Um, can is there a how can I how can I ask this without being too mean? Um, is there how exploitable is this? That's my question. Like how. You have access to clips every four minutes, but what if um, TFL and GLA use it for continuous clips? Um, is it feasible? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, I just, I just want to make sure that Fumi has a chance to, to answer some questions. Otherwise, it's just me talking the entire time. That's not very interesting. Um, my, my answer to that would be there are only 10-second clips that are available and the clips have been available for years. Um, it's part of TFL's Open uh, Roads initiative. They've been around for a very long time. Uh, they really are traffic cameras. Predominantly a large quantity of them are just sitting on roads outside London. Um, it, it's only those that are inside London that are looking at a at intersection that are interesting to us. And, and that's that's kind of it. Like it, it, it. As much as I think it could be interesting if you could apply this onto uh, even more regular regularly updated clips and, and even more continuous data um i don't know how much more useful that would be honestly because you're already getting pretty fine grade samples very frequently um and the number of people that are going to be passing between you know a four minute interval shouldn't unless you know it's some sort of weird black friday event that we didn't all plan for shouldn't really come about um for me do you want to add anything um yeah i'm just thinking about um the question about the exploitation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I feel it's worth looking at. Um, and I guess that comes to the ethics side of, you know, AI. Um, 
Yeah, um, currently there are many AI algorithms out there that people can actually exploit if they want to. But um, I feel the work we're currently doing and uh, um, currently we are just counting. Uh, we're not even like storing any data that has to do with any car features or features about people and all that. But, you know, anybody, any other person can pick up the code and tweak it to their own taste and all that, which we don't really have control over. But I think with the way it is right now, it's just for counts. And I don't think TFL would want to exploit that because, they, like James mentioned, they already have data that um, they're providing publicly and it's low resolution and I think CFL is also aware of um, you know people's privacy and security, and that's why we can't even access um, you know high resolution data. And yeah, I, I, currently the way I feel, I feel no, it cannot be exploited. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> At the beginning of this project, we, we, we were very nervous about that, predominantly yeah. um, because we, we weren't sure either, especially with where this project was going. So we did um, conduct an ethical review through the official Turing Channel um, in which to do so, and effectively concluded that, honestly, that w without high-resolution footage, without any uh, identifying features, without data that was in any way you know, de-anonymized, um, it, it, it's not actually something that could ever really be so easily exploited. You would have to make substantial changes to the system in order to, to, to somehow use it nefariously. And, e and even then, I mean, all we're trying to do is provide here one additional data stream um, of a particular sample of how we believe people are within particular areas. And, and, and that, that also includes such, such things as camera features. So we also have an idea now as to the height of a camera, where it's pointing, the angle, um, the field of view. Like, these are all relatively interesting statistics to us because we want to know so that we can actually calculate distance between two humanoid detections um, but I can't immediately see how that would be useful to, to many other people or any other people in fact <laughs> are, are you guys now extra aware that you're being recorded when you walk outside <laughs> given no. given no you're just you're <laughs> just like, accepting yeah. So I know the city of London is the most surveilled city, like in Europe, right? I mean, you. I think you it's one of the. Some, I think it's one of the most surveilled cities in the world, actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly sure it is. I mean, and, and I, I don't particularly see that as a bad thing, to be honest. I mean, yeah. it's not exactly as if all of that information is just broadcast live to the world. And even then, a lot of the time, it is genuinely just people walking from A to B to get to work or to get to the shops. Um, I think it's more useful to, I mean, as a general question, I think it's more useful to um, the police to be able to catch individuals or catch events that, that may have occurred that do require some, you know, additional evidence. And, and being the most surveilled city is, is a very reasonable expectation. And fortunately, um, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure how, how much I can sort of how much I should say, say, say that statement, I, I, I do trust the fact that we do relatively well when it comes to our private data um, within the UK. I mean, a lot of it is, is protected. A lot of it is very well governed and very well legislated. We're lucky and fortunate to be in that situation. Yes. For, for now, there's still GDPR applied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So this is non-related to the project. But given that you have access to these images, 
What's the weirdest thing that you have seen on camera? Fleet, we, we, we are curious about it. I bet our listeners were thinking the same thing. Like, what is the weirdest thing or the thing that surprised you the most from the camera, camera footage? This is for both of you. Oh, I think you can go first. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, when it comes to sitting there and watching video footage of people walking across a, a traffic light, I can't say I've seen anything peculiar, and I'm quite pleased to say I haven't seen anything peculiar in that particular scenario. Um, I, I mean, as part of the ethical review, I was nervous that there could be events such as you know car crashes or something that, as somebody who then has access and is then looking at this footage, could then quite nervously see and therefore be affected by it. But on the whole, the amount of time that we spend looking at footage is, is down to really comparing um, results of algorithms from these particular clips and, of course, working out labels um, if there are instances where we need to include um, particular labels and, 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 and increasing the data set that we have originally. So I can't say that I found, honestly, anything that has been particularly surprising or interesting or comedic. Um, I'm afraid it's, it's, it's literally just been people trying to cross the road um, and then it's us trying to figure out how, how in which we can best analyze that. You know, I was actually going to go first because <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Like, um, <laughs> I think most of the time we've spent, like, working on this project has always been, like, trying to evaluate if um, the number of counts we're getting is accurate and things like that. And maybe the only weird thing I've seen is um, with the classification algorithm, like, you know, trying to maybe in a particular video, you know, on the road, um, sometimes um, you would see drawings of bikes or, yeah, bikes majorly on the road or maybe cars just to show that, okay, cars can only move on this path and, you know, bicycles can move on this path. And the weirdest thing is even the, <laughs> the algorithm is trying to also detect the drawings on the, on the ground. And that seems so weird to me. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that, on that, on that, what are, what is, what is your solution to that? Um, I've been thinking about that, but I haven't really. <laughs> haven't really, really? Is, is there no application of tracking that would be relevant here? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yet because even that applies to you know some of the vehicles that we're trying to classify. Maybe situations where you have diagrams on the on the vehicles, the algorithm would also try to like, you know, mm. classify what is on the on the vehicle. And I think that's another research area, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I was just imagining like um, all of the paranoid people that at once danced at a cross uh, road or something like that, and now they're like, oh my god, someone saw me doing my. Uh, silly walk. Yes, yeah. probably someone did, but they didn't re register that. It's fine. Your silly walk is safe with us. Um, uh, uh, are you are you a car carrying member of the ministry ministry of silly walks? Uh, no, but I have done my fair share of silly walks around London, okay. so that is you have um, far more fun than I do at traffic intersections. <laughs> do you have any more questions, Joe? Do you think there'll be any plans to kind of expand this beyond London or, you know, any into any other cities in the UK or? 
So, I mean, the, the project itself, the, the London Air Quality Project, is also has plans one day to be um, applicable outside of London. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we do, um, obviously the research itself, the algorithms themselves, th- th- those are going to be published, of course. Um, and mm-hmm. then the code itself should also be published, um, and it will likely be made open source effectively when we can detach it enough from our own infrastructure. So because there's, there's just a lot of infrastructural code there, um, some of it doesn't all really make any use or any sense to publish or make open source so anything that involves um you know database management and and some of the some of the other like mini- data manipulation subroutines some of that stuff's not really particularly that useful um but yeah. it, if it, if it were, if we could find a way to make it more accessible or more helpful as like a general package then yes we would and then it'll be applicable to uh, really the way we've sort of gone about it is whoever whomever comes along with interesting data sources um that can that can make use of these algorithms so um i do hope that it will be applicable to other cities i think right now we're in a really good position to make it really really uh useful for london specifically um Mm. and then we'll come down to we'll we'll sort of come back to whether or not it can be as easily applicable to to other cities based on what particular um data streams they have both on the the pollution and on the um, activity side of things um but yeah it, it just sort of depends uh where what is available in which city and and who would be interested so i would say yeah it's definitely applicable but we're prioritizing london at the moment uh, thank you, guys. Uh, how can people learn more about this project, and how can people find you guys online? Best way to find us is on the Turing website, uh, Project Odysseus. Uh, just type that into Google, uh, Project Odysseus Turing. That should come up. Um, if not, you can look at London Air Quality. Um, obviously, you could also always search um, Theo Damoulas, um, who is obviously uh, the assistant professor in charge. Ah, got to cut that bit. I keep doing getting this wrong. <laughs> Let me redo that. So you can find us on Project Odysseus, um, the project page on Turing's website. Uh, you can probably find that quite easily by just popping that into Google. Uh, and of course, you can always find us by um, looking after the associate professor, um, Theo de Moulas, whose team, of course, we are all a part of. Yeah. Do you guys have any... So- yes. Do you have any social media that you want to share? No. <laughs> I don't use social media. <laughs> How about you, Fumi? Uh, my boss said no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I wasn't saying no for her. No, I was just meaning that I don't have any social media. Please, Fumi, please, share your share your Twitter handle, like and subscribe. Okay, yeah, I'm usually on Twitter, like, it's just my name, Fumi Kesha. F-U-N-M-I-K-E-S-A. Okay. Well, thank you guys. It was lovely. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to see how this helps and how it goes along. And hopefully it helps our the, the easing of this lockdown um, that we're all stuck in. But yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. To learn more about the work going on at the Alan Turing Institute, visit our website at turing.ac.uk. To get in touch with the podcast team, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at turing.ac.uk. Music for this episode was provided by Jamin Sun. You can listen to his latest releases at jaminsun.bandcamp.com. The Turing Podcast is hosted by Ed Calstreet, Tarek Allen, Ben Walden, Effie Dennis and produced by Dan Whitfield for the Alan Turing Institute.